Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. There's no break in the Bible. Of course, we have a chapter division here now, and this is uh, the first word of chapter 11, but now that doesn't occur in the Bible. So uh, when you read a chapter, don't let a chapter division influence an interpretation. Uh, you still, you're still in thought uh, uh, in, in the previous verse. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. Now, <clears throat> how you interpret this verse will determine, uh, will distinguish you between a, a, a premillennialist and a dispensationalist. Because this is the point uh, of demarcation in the New Testament. And there was given me a reed like unto rod. Well, uh, that was a, a bamboo bush, a little uh, a reed that grew by the edges of the water. Uh, and they normally uh, cut them to be nine feet uh, in length. And according to... Uh, the profane history concerned about them. But anyway, he says, Rise and measure. Uh, there was given me a reed like unto a rod. An angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple Leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city that shall, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Now what, now notice what he's commanded to do. He's commanded to measure the temple of God, the altar, and them that worship therein. Now, what he's commanded not to do, uh, the court which is without the temple, leave out. Don't measure it. Measure it not. For it is given, un, for it is given, that is, the court without, is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Now, the uh, <clears throat> the word measure is the first word that's necessary. Rise and measure the temple. Uh, the the word measure uh, has m the same meaning that uh, Revelation seven uh, verse uh, three. 
Revelation 7, 3, where it says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. The sealing of chapter 7 and the measuring in chapter uh, 11 have kindred meanings. In Revelation 7, the sealing was to preserve, to protect his servants. Here is a command given to, to John uh, to, for action again, for him to measure. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean take a tape measure and see how, how many feet, how many inches in a thing. Measure uh, is like uh, in boxing. Uh, if you're looking at two boxers fight, and, one, uh, and you say, well, well, what they doing out there? You're just sparring around, and a man will come up and say, well, he's just measuring him, you know. He's setting him up. He's getting him ready. Okay? Measuring. All right? Uh, in the Bible, in Zechariah 2, 1, uh, measure means protect, to preserve. In Second uh, Kings 21, uh, 13, measure means to measure, to mark him for destruction. One's to mark for preservation. The other is to mark for, uh, for destruction. Now that's uh, figurative meanings. That's symbolical uses of the word. Now notice, he's commanded to measure the temple of God. There's no temple. Not in Jerusalem. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. John's writing in 96 A.D. This vision. 28 years so have passed. Almost 30 years, roughly, since there was a temple. Well, how is he going to... So what is the temple of God? Uh, did he, is he commanded to measure a temple that is to be? A temple that had been? Or a temple that was? He's to measure something. He's to point out something. He's to, uh, he's to mark something for preservation or destruction. Or he's to measure it Literally. And the Bible, of course, uses measure in all three senses. Now, the, the expression temple of God, temple, and this same word, is applied to the church of God, to the children of God. Know ye not that ye are a temple of God, the Holy Spirit? Abide it, dwell it in you, and and to keep it holy, not defile it, to profane it, you know. Uh, and and we're a temple that groweth up into a temple, a spiritual house. See, uh, all right. 
the, the word temple in itself uh, is used symbolically, figuratively, of children of God. Uh, why? Because of the presence of God. That's, uh, that's the whole, uh, the meaning of temple. That's the, that's the primary meaning of tabernacle. The tabernacle was a place where God was. Build it that I may commune with you there. That I may meet you there. That was a place that the priest could come with the tribes, their names on his shoulders, that he met God in their behalf. Yet not literally, and yet there was literal names on their on, on the priest's uh, breast when he went in. And he, uh, as he officiated, bringing the blood and sprinkling it before and on the mercy seat, Right, he came in the presence of God. Right, that's the that's the purpose of that was the tabernacle, the meaning of the tabernacle, and that's what it means when God Himself shall tabernacle in the end of this chapter. When we reach the climax, we're going to have see that God comes down out of heaven and dwells tabernacles with me. And when Jesus became incarnate, it says the word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. So, uh, when, when the angel told John to rise and measure the temple of God, he is restricting himself now to uh, a people of God. Whether it's This statement uh, restricts the uh, the temple of God to the people of God. Uh, that people be one of two classes of people. For certainly the Bible dis- uh, uh, speaks of the Jews as his people. The Bible speaks of the children of God in uh, after Christ became the tabernacle among us, well, from there on out, there was no distinction between Jew and Gentile. When Christ died, the veil was rent in a temple, in two. But that didn't, uh, uh, but practically on earth, that didn't do away with sacrifices. They still, uh, they still, uh, had that desire. To do so. The only reason why they didn't is because 70, uh, 40 years, uh, in 70 AD, 40 years later, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple. That's the only reason why they, uh, quit, uh, offered sacrifice, you see. But, there, uh, the Bible does say and teach that there are two, uh, uh two nations. The literal nation of Israel, and the Bible teaches that all that are in that literal nation are not a spiritual nation. It distinguishes between the uh, true Israelite and the Israelite, the Jew, that's a Jew by mere birth, descent from Abraham. Then the Bible teaches that there is a, a people of God that's neither Jew by descent, 
nor a Jew by religion, by proselyte, that yet he is a Gentile, he is a, uh, that God uh, came to him, and God had a people among all nations, as well as among the nation of Israel. Now, does this mean, uh, the, the point that, uh, that we must decide uh, in our study, or in our understanding of the scriptures, here is whether it applies uh, to both groups or to one group. For certainly now, since uh, Christ came, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. That's uh, all admit on that basis. But does that destroy? And here we have a cardinal point between uh, premillennialists and amillennialists. Amillennialists say there's uh, that that distinction has been done away with. It's destroyed. There's no such thing anymore in God's sight as a Jew. In God's plans and purposes in the Bible. That does through. Now what you've got to do is take Romans 9, 10, and 11. And uh, where does Romans 9, 10, 11 come in? How are you going to with, even without the book of Revelation, how are you going to dis, uh, describe, uh, interpret those three chapters? I don't believe any person, unless he has been acquainted with some theory before he gets to Romans 9, 10, 11, I don't believe that he can read those three chapters and come to the conclusion uh, that God is finished with the Jew. Nationally. Why? Because in it, it tells you that as far as the gospel's sake is concerned, they are the enemies of Christ. But according to election, see, God has chosen. There's an elect, there's a remnant among the Jews. Has always been. And there was a remnant that's always cast in the future. There's always been a remnant that has been referred to in history as here's a proof of God's election, even among the Jews themselves. Seven thousand with reference to Elijah. All right? Uh, my position is uh, understanding of the scriptures, and it doesn't matter if it's other, I, I have no objection, but I just I cannot reconcile uh, the teachings of the scriptures and make this group to be other than a Jewish group. Now why? Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Alright? The them that worship therein were the Jews. Now notice. But the court which is without measure not. Measure not. Now, uh, let's, let's approach the temple of God. As you come up to the temple of God, you come first to the court of the Gentiles. And then, there was a buffer zone. In the buffer zone, there were warnings. No Gentile beyond this point. Immediate death was the answer to any Gentile that came beyond the buffer zone. 
little hole, little little way. Before what? Before the court of the women. That was the area that the court of the women, the Jewish women, could uh, could assemble. But there was a point to which they could not go. And they couldn't go into the next division, the next room, so to speak. And that was the court of the Israelites. The, the men only could go into the court of the Israelites. Then there was another court. You are still advancing to the temple proper of God. You see, he says, measure the temple of God. Don't measure the court that's without. Courts without is not properly a part of the temple of God. See, the court without was the Gentiles. The temple of God, uh, he says, now, all right, now you're up. We've got up to the court of the uh, of the Israelites. What's next? The court of the Levites, the court of the priests, where they congregated. That area. And then from the court of the priest, you approached the temple. You approached the holy place, the holy of holies. Now John was commissioned to measure, to mark. To preserve, to protect the temple of God, measure it, protect the altar, and them that worship in there, which were the Jews. But the court which is without the temple, leave out. And measure not, for he is given unto the Gentiles, and that whole and the holy city. They shall tread underfoot for it too much. Now notice that the holy city, Jerusalem, when Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he spoke generally, as including all of the Jews, the whole territory of Jerusalem. But we're not speaking, God is not speaking here of Jerusalem as a city. He's he's contrasting the holy city, Jerusalem as a whole, from the temple of God. Measure the temple of God. Without is the court of the Gentiles and the holy city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem as a whole. Right? And they shall, uh, for it's given unto them. Forty and two months. That's three and a half years. All right? Now that's all he says. Measure the temple. Alright. Uh, here is God's concern. Before the end, before the finality, before the curtain, before doomsday, here is a people that God is still interested in. It's the same viewpoint that we had in, in chapter 7. The 112,000 out of each tribe. See, that, it, 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 yet, it's approached from two different, uh, 
subdue. But the subject matter dealing with the uh, dealing with the people of God, the elect of God among the Jewish nation. Now he says, uh, verse three. We go to the now. Well, we, we, how would you interpret this literally? If, if you if you were if you're going to say, oh well. Uh, John was commanded to measure a temple. Now, he, he didn't measure a literal temple, not John. Somebody might measure a literal temple. But it wasn't in existence then. Well, it might come into existence and could be measured, marked for protection, or it could be uh, just uh, literally measured. Well, if that's what it means, if that's what it teaches, uh, how are you going to, uh, how, how do you, uh, distinguish between the, the, uh, the Gentiles? It's marked out. See, you've got, you, you've got problems. Of course, you've got problems here. Say, well, that's an interpretation. Well, I, I admit, I grant you that this is an interpretation. That's, that's what I believe about. It says the temple of God, alright? Uh, I'm showing you that there is a contrast between the people that are measured and the Gentiles. People that the temple of God, the, the what's measured, is contrasted with the city as a whole. And uh, and now then, let's see what what he says uh, in verse three. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand. Two hundred and three score days, clothed in sackcloth. Now, what about uh, the uh, verse eleven in chapter ten? And he said unto me, this angel said unto John, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. What does verse three say? And I will give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Who are they? I just see if verse four uh, and and five will help us. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Well, here are two witnesses that are going to do some prophesying, and their days in which they prophesy is so certain, is so sure, and so safe, that there's not a power on earth with all hell breaking loose during the the trumpets, the seals and the trumpets, and yet the two witnesses are safe until they have delivered their message. Thou must prophesy the same length of time that was given in verse 2. And he says, these are the two candlestick, two olive trees. 
and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. Now that power doesn't always remain there. If it is, then it would be injured. They would have been hurt. And devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Boy, if they even tried to get to these two witnesses. These, now, who are the witnesses? Verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, uh, that's your description of your two witnesses. The two man reading that, and you ask, if you ever ask that question, well, the answer is Moses and Elijah. Uh, it says, these shall have uh, uh, power to shut heaven. Well, you automatically think uh, of Elijah. For he prayed. And he prayed uh, 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 continuously. He prayed repeatedly that, uh, that it might not rain for three and a half years. Three years. But it was six months before that, which made it all three and a half years. Now, and then the other one it says, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth. Well, now that's a Nile River. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often they will. Well, we naturally think back in history. I mean, here's something that makes us, reminds us of Moses at the Nile before Pharaoh. All right, now these witnesses, these are they that had this power. Now, uh, and personally, uh, I believe that uh, that would be two people. And it may be Moses and Elijah. I have no objection to it being them. It may be two men in the power of this, because it says that these are they that that did so and so. See, now uh, they have that same power. Fire would be able to proceed out of their mouth for self-defense until they have prophesied. All right. Now notice verse seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now their fire is helpless against this beast. Their time of prophesying is over. Second prophesy for the two months. Well now then they've got to prophesy that long before this beast can help them. Now, I can't hurt it. Now, the beast is brought in here as though everybody knew him, don't they? He's just brought in in a casual manner, doesn't he? 
He doesn't introduce us to the beast. It doesn't, uh, it says, and, uh, uh, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Alright? Who is he? The beast? Revelation 13.1. No doubt in my mind that that's who he's talking about. Uh, he's uh, the little horn and uh, Daniel 7. He's now uh, the final view has always in prophecy been for you. There's a a four view of the final view. And Titus Epiphanes, when we studied Daniel, what did he do? He came in the temple at Jerusalem and he um, took a, a sow and offered it on the altar. Sprinkled its blood everywhere and its urine and all over the holy places, desecrated, desolated. All right? And to the Jews of that day, well, he he, he certainly was uh, uh, represented a power, a force that was opposed to their religion. Because he tried to uh, he tried to do away with all worship of God in Jerusalem. And that's what he set out to do. But finally, Judas Maccabees, the Maccabean revolt, finally crushed him. And they had, uh, uh, they had, uh, a peace, uh, comparatively, uh, era of peace, uh, after, um, Antiochus Epiphanes was put to death. And, uh, uh but, he, he he certainly uh, like Paul's man of sin. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. This beast, this man of sin, is the one that's, uh, that he describes opposing himself. But he's put, he, his his whole uh, delight and joy seems to be to put the people of God to death. That's what he wants to do. He makes himself to be worshipped. And he has another beast, another false prophet, another person is going to uh, call on all, uh, see to it that the people uh, uh, worship this image, this beast, this creature, this person. And it will be in Rome, not in Jerusalem. Their headquarters, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, positive, will be in Rome. This person is coming up out of uh, uh, that Roman Empire somewhere. Some way. But the holy city, the city that's trodden down, the, uh, the, that's called Sodom and Gomorrah, because that's where uh, we'll have that reference in our study here, describing Jerusalem, that it's come out to to that, uh, I mean, it's come to that point. 
but but anyway, this beast, this person, has power. He makes war. Now, there are arguments uh, that believe the two witnesses uh, that these two persons represents the whole people of God. See, and certainly uh, they do stand. Uh, certainly they're not the only two people uh, that'll be on earth uh, that's going to be faithful to God and loyal to, uh, to God in this in this time of just before the return of the Lord. Uh, so uh, uh, even though the, the two, the uh, there may be two individuals that uh, in uh, that that you can congregate or you can speak through them representatively. And that may and that may be what is done here. But nevertheless, these two were slain by this beast, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, you see, we have uh, symbolism in this teaching all the way through this chapter. And that's the reason why once you, the more you study this scripture, this this chapter, the more you will see that uh, the Lord is teaching uh, these truths in, some, in a symbolic manner. But the truth, regardless of how it's conveyed here, is the fact that, uh, uh, that the day's coming when God's witnesses, his last witness upon this earth, that they are going to deliver that witness, they are going to be faithful to God uh, until God's time comes for their testimony to be ended. Whoever they are, how many they are, what nationalities are, uh, are whether nationality is even considered, or religion, or affiliation, or whatnot. Uh, God has a, a, a prophesy. It says they must prophesy again. See? For many peoples, nation, and tongues. Well, who's going to do that? These two witnesses. Just two men going to do that? No, it's going to be all the people of God. But it'll be headed up in two here. It'll take, it'll be, they'll have leaders like Elijah who was afraid to stand up before Ahab, see? Or Moses is able to stand up before uh, before Pharaoh. It's going to take men of that character to be leaders in that day. But notice also, they're going to be equipped of God to stand. Here they were, uh, and, and God was, had, had, uh, they had been measured. They'd been marked out for protection. No man could hurt them until their testimony was delivered. And when they finished their testimony, you'll notice, it was only when that was finished that the beast comes on the scene, that he overpowers them and finally kills them. And then their bodies lie in the street for three and a half days. That was a, one of the greatest, uh, oh, that was uh, something that was obnoxious to the Jews. They didn't let a body lie 
open that was dead body in the street for no time. Alright? And it says, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. Why? Because it's Christmas time. I don't know it's Christmas time. Look, verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Sent gifts one to another. Christmas time, huh? Well, the only thing about it was these people on the earth these earth dwellers were rejoicing because the children of God had been put to death. And that's the only time you can find in the Bible where any people ever uh, rejoiced in giving gifts one to the other. Now, it says, And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Now, whoever they are, how many are they? They are standing upon their feet. They come to life again after that three and a half days. And the people that rejoiced over them, that laughed at it, and was having a heyday, are now... Like old Belshazzar, their knees are knocking together and the ground is quivering underneath. Great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Now, it's not going to be done in secret. Yeah, real. That's real. You can't... Uh, uh, now, uh, of course, uh, the post-millennial view, take this as a symbol. That all of this, that, that the two witnesses uh, here, uh, that that's the gospel. That represents their activity of evangelizing the world and uh, the uh, the heaven here is an apocalyptic heaven uh, that it doesn't it doesn't mean heaven the abode of God uh, but it's us it's the heaven uh, that John has been uh, seeing all of these events uh, but I take it that when God, when John heard the voice of God that said, come up hither, that in spirit, in vision, John went up into heaven because he saw the throne of God, the person sitting on that throne, and he describes him only in the, under the uh, descriptions of jewels, precious stones. He hears angels about that throne, and they worship God. And they sing and they praise and they shout hallelujah and glory and ascribe 
uh, fivefold and up to sevenfold praises to God, I take that that that's in heaven. But now, uh, verse 13, And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now, verse 13 gives the effect upon uh, the enemies and upon the remnant, upon the rest of the, of the people. Now, notice that uh, the, the crowds are, are divided again. Uh, there were the enemies, there were the inhabitants of the earth. The inhabitants of the earth in the book of Revelation always represents a Gentile element that dwells upon the earth that is anti-God, that's anti-Christ, wherever it's mentioned, some uh, eight, ten times. And it's a rebellious group. It's a group out of which there is no, uh, there is no reference to any, any one being, uh, a child of God. None ever crying glory or our honor, our praise to God. But there's a remnant, and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. And uh, beginning here, and in chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 19, Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.